Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Uh, There's also a Bible beneath the chair in front of you or near you, and you can follow along with that or on your device as well. Uh, It's good to see all of you at the beginning of this new year um, as we continue our, I was going to say march through the book of Luke, but at this point it kind of feels like a slow belly crawl, doesn't it? I have on my computer, I have all the files uh, for the Gospel of Luke, and it's, we started this in 2022, and now we're in 2024, and we're not going to finish this year. So we're going to be here a while. It's kind of nice, though, to kind of know what's coming, like kind of know what's coming up. But uh, with that said, Luke chapter 12, I begin reading in verse 54. Jesus said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present moment or this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, there's some parts of the Bible that have all kinds of writing and commentary and conjecture about them. And then there's other parts that have very little. This happens to be a group of verses, including what Paula preached on last week, that has very little commentary because it seems like we don't really know what to do with it. Now, for me, whenever I come across verses that have very little commentary, it makes me more curious. It makes me more interested It makes me more engaged because I begin to wonder, what are we missing here? And some say, well, what Luke is doing here is he's just kind of taking all these wisdom sayings of Jesus and kind of filling up some space in his gospel as if it wasn't already long enough. And while that may be true, if you take the book or the gospel of Luke from beginning to end, 
what you'll realize is the whole thing is going somewhere. So it seems a little bit out of character as far as how Luke writes for him just to throw in some sayings to fill up some space. That maybe what Jesus is doing is he's asking us to stop and consider some questions because what he says is, you do have the power to observe some things. He, he begins by making a comment about the weather. So you know how it is. You wake up in the morning and you log on to your weather app and you see, oh, it's going to be negative four below zero this morning. You know what I should do? I should go to church. Because we're the frozen chosen. Like, we're the hardcore. We're the people who are really serious about our faith. Now we're going to go out and evangelize people. I don't know what we're going to do. But it's this understanding of, like, great, you can, you can look at the weather and you can know what's going to happen. You know when it's time to pack up the skis and go up into the hills. You know when it's time to cancel the picnic because the rain is coming. Good for you. But here's what you don't seem to pick up on, he says. You don't seem to understand the present moments, this very time we're living in. And it seems that what he's referring to in this present time is his own ministry, his own journey. Because Jesus has started his walk toward Jerusalem. Jesus has begun walking toward the cross, his arrest his trial, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. Now, Jesus has already named the fact that he's going to Jerusalem to be tried and to be executed. He's named that two times very plainly, very explicitly in the Gospel of Luke. And even when he names it explicitly, his followers and the crowds don't seem to know what's going on. And so he says, you can judge the weather, but you don't understand this present time. And then he asks the question, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And then he paints a picture regarding reconciliation. He creates a scenario for the audience to imagine about what reconciliation with your adversary might look like. Now, in over two decades of preaching, here's one thing I know. Anytime in a context like this, in a sermon where reconciliation or its close sibling forgiveness is talked about, there's a lot of tension in the room. We would rather actually talk about money and generosity and financial giving than talk about reconciliation or forgiveness. And because I am a man of the people, this morning what we're going to talk about is why you should give 10% of everything you make, <laughs> gross, not net, to Denver Community Church. <laughs> now, why, is it, why, do we have, why do we struggle in talking about reconciliation? Why do we struggle like, with this idea around forgiveness or any kind of relational healing? Well, I think it's because nearly each and every single one of us has been wounded by someone. Each and every one of us can talk about a time where someone else wounded us. And if that has not happened to you yet, just live a little bit longer because it will. And I also know that in a room and in a crowd this size, there are some of you who have wounds and you've told yourself, if I ever told anyone about what happened to me, people wouldn't imagine it possible. They might not even believe me. 
And I don't want to minimize that at all this morning. Because I know there are some of you who are here and you've been wounded and it's landed so deeply within you and it's caused so much pain and devastating hurt that you took that moment and you put it in a box and you closed the lid and you placed a lock on it and you put it in a shelf, in a closet, in a distant room in the furthest recesses of your heart hoping to never have to address it. And then you show up on a Sunday morning and the preacher stands up and mentions the word reconciliation and all you can think about is that wound in that box that's been locked up on that shelf, in that closet, in that distant room, in the furthest recesses of your heart and everything in you says, I don't want to talk about it. And if you're sitting here wondering, like, how does he know that? Well, because I've been there. And I've had those kinds of wounds And I've put it in those kinds of boxes on those kind of shelves and those kinds of closets in the distant recesses of my heart. And what I can tell you is this, as much as I am able, as much as I am able this morning standing up here is this, I see you. And I can tell you this, this morning is not about me telling you all of the reasons why you must go and be reconciled to the person who's wounded you. Because what that does is it takes the pain you're already experiencing and can actually add pain to it. What I can tell you this morning is that if you look around the room, there are other people here who've been wounded too. And one of the uh, catchphrases, right, of our current cultural moment is the term safe place. I heard recently a safe place is not the absence of danger. A safe place is the presence of connection. And my encouragement is to look around this room because what you are surrounded by, who you are surrounded by, are people who are, are about love and grace and healing people whose hearts break with you and for you wherever you find yourself in this present moment. And let me make a disclaimer about this morning. This is not going to be like three steps toward a reconciled relationship because I'm fully aware that some relationships may never be reconciled in this life. Rather, what I want to do as I look at Jesus' words is simply observe all of us have the power to read the signs. All of us have the power to understand what's happening. And so I simply want to ask a question, and just like Jesus did, I want to paint a picture or paint a scenario. And I don't want to paint a picture about what it might be like for you to be reconciled to your adversary, because I think that might be too many steps down the road. I want us to paint a different picture. I want us to imagine something different. I want us to ask, I want to ask what Jesus did. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And here's what I want us to imagine. This is the picture I hope to paint this morning. And here's the question that I want to fuel our imagination. Next slide. What if God, what if God longs for the reconciliation of all things? Not what if you do, or what if I do, or if this should be, like, this is what we're going to preach toward. Like, but what if God, what if God longs for the reconciliation of all things? 
Now, you might be like, of course God longs for the reconciliation of all things. I mean, we're churchgoers. We're here. It's negative four out, and we showed up. And I mean, like, there's verses in the Bible somewhere about this kind of thing. And there's, like, theology that someone wrote that I'm sure is compelling that proves that God longs for reconciliation. And you know what? Jesus, like, he talked about this. That guy definitely, like, he was all for reconciliation. And we're Christians. Like, yes. Why would you actually even have to ask us to imagine if, if this is possible or paint some kind of picture about it or ask us to judge whether or not this is right? And I can understand the confusion, but I think there's a difference between knowing something at the level of bone and sinew and saying, I believe this to be true. I mean, we can say we believe anything to be true. Like, I believe the University of Colorado football team is going to be really good next year. <laughs> okay, you keep believing that. Versus, I know the University of Michigan football team is the national champion. That's right. Hail to the victor, because that's a very gospel-oriented song. Uh, you can say anything, oh, I believe this, but here's what I know. Whatever we really believe to be true is not heard by the words that come out of our mouth, but is actually heard by the way that we live day in and day out. And let's consider for a moment the way that we live in our world in this present moment. Let's observe, if you will, this present time, as Jesus said. I don't know how many of you pay attention to the news, but it's an absolute dumpster fire, isn't it? And depending on which outlet you subscribe to or pay attention to, that tells you in different ways why the world is a dumpster fire. One of the things that I do, I'm not kidding, I actually do this. Anytime I read an article online, I go to what I believe is the opposite news outlet of whatever article I'm reading. So every day I log on to CNN.com and then I log on to FoxNews.com. And I have to imagine myself that someone out there who's created an algorithm is going, I don't know what's wrong with this person. <laughs> but it's fascinating, like whatever you read, or whoever you read, what you begin to do is to say this, oh, they're the problem. But if you're over here, you're going, no, they're the problem. And it could be about things like immigration, or the Russia-Ukraine war, or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or the upcoming presidential election, or, you know, other unimportant things. Whatever it is, you read it, and what you realize is, like, these are polarizing viewpoints. And it's not just giving us information, it's telling us why they are wrong. And the underlying message is this, if they were more like us, or completely out of the picture, the world would be a better place. And you know why they do that, don't you? Because we can't get enough of it. We can say, of course we believe in a God who's all about reconciliation. We're Christians. But then we log on the news and we read and we read and we read and we read. 
What about film in movies? You ever watched a film with a villain in it? What's Hollywood's solution for every villain who's ever lived in every film? Well, it's an equation. Depending on how evil they are, that depends on how excruciating their death is going to be. And typically, it's the hero, after they've been knocked down multiple times, that eventually gets to deliver the fatal blow. And when they do that, something in us goes, yes, we love it. And if we didn't love it, Hollywood, which has really tweaked exactly what we want to see, wouldn't keep doing it. It's just destruction. Not long ago, I was traveling, and I met someone at a meeting, and they said, oh, where are you from? I said, oh, I live in Denver, Colorado. They were like, oh, wow. I was like, yeah, it's beautiful out there. I love it. And they're like, no. Like, how does it feel to live in the state where the next civil war is going to begin? And I was like, is this how you begin every conversation? (laughs) What kind of world are we living in where we're talking in this country about another civil war and it's not a joke? Like, there are experts who are saying, like, here are the percentages of it happening. We can say, oh, yeah, I believe God is all about reconciliation. And then we say, and there might be civil war in a Christian nation. Huh. What about, like, just an everyday conversation? You know, you're hanging out with some friends, you go out for happy hour, you grab lunch together, whatever it is, and they bring up somebody's name. And there's something in your gut that tightens. And you know they may not know what's going on, so you just go, ah, with that smile, you know, like the one that we've all learned that just masks what we're really feeling. But inside your head, you think to yourself, if I could punch them in the side of the head just one time, not two times, that's too much, one time, it would be great. You see, we can say all we want, like, of course we believe this, but does that really bear out in the way that we live? And you might be sitting here going, well, you're talking about all the things that we believe and the ways that we act. You're talking about what we believe about God. Okay, fine. Let's talk about the most common human conception of God or the gods, which is punisher-in-chief. I mean, like the basic human story about the gods, which is still alive and well today, is this. You better do what the gods want you to do or they will kick your ass, like theologically speaking. I mean, this is the baseline story. I mean, even the story that I grew up hearing about God is that God will punish you if you stray and don't believe and or do the right kind of things. I used to go to a Christian summer camp in upstate New York when I was a kid, and the second to last night of every camp, they would have a campfire. And at the campfire meeting, they would bring in somebody who we hadn't met all week to preach the sermon about getting saved, which means like how to get to heaven. And this one particular year, I never, by the way, responded to any of those things. I don't know why, I just didn't seem to care. But this one particular year, I was 11, as I remember, and this guy came in. All I remember is his first name was Rick, and he had really big, like, Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. That joke is lost on some of you, but for those of you who know, you know. And all he did was talk about hell in granular detail. The suffering, 
the torment, the screams. I remember him talking about, and you might recognize some of the screams because they will be your friends. And you're like, oh my goodness. By the way, I'm 11. This one goes up to 11. So then at the end, he's like, I'll ask you all to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you don't want to go to hell, I want you to pray this prayer. So he prayed the prayer. I repeated it. And then he said, if you've prayed the prayer, we're going to ask you to come up and we're going to ask you to take a stick and we're going to ask you to throw the stick in a fire as a symbol of the prayer that you just prayed. Now, I don't think he thought through the metaphor. He had just preached about hell, and now he's telling us to fuel the flames of the fire. So I went up and grabbed a stick and like threw it in, and then I prayed that same prayer in the years that followed roughly 1,642 times because I was terrified of what God would do to me. Have any of you ever had an experience anything like this? Yes. That somehow the message is, God is out to get you unless you say or do or believe the right things. Some of you are sitting here going, this is so primitive. That kind of belief is so primitive. Yes, it actually is very, very primitive. It's very ancient. It's what human beings have believed since consciousness entered our own beings, that somehow something's up there that is out to get us, and we better placate or appease them or else. This common understanding or conception of God even worked its way into the cross of all things. That God was so angry at humanity that he needed some sort of blood or sacrifice or death to forgive us because God apparently has conditions to God's forgiveness. God needs something in order to forgive, but you and me, we're just supposed to forgive. But I digress. And so because there was no blood or no death or no sacrifice that was enough for God, God was going to unleash. And then Jesus, good old buddy Jesus, stepped in and was like, hey, Dad, listen, the people are talking. They think you're kind of a little bit uptight. So why don't you let me go down there? And I know I'm your son, but I'll die. You can take my blood. Let that be enough. And then you can be cool with all of them. I actually was thinking about this image, and it reminded me of a time that I was skiing with some friends. Now, one thing you may not know about me is um, I have a propensity to break up fights. Now, I don't mean like someone arguing over, I don't know, like investment funds. I mean like when people are fisticuffs, like punching each other, something in me is like, that looks awesome, and I run into the middle of it. And so one year, we're skiing, we're at the top of the lift, we have just gotten off the lift, and I hear someone screaming, not in pain, in rage. And this one fella comes off the chairlift, and I realize the guy screaming is on the chairlift right behind him, and the guy who got off the chairlift in front of him can't get around the crowd, and the other guy gets off the chairlift and is screaming all sorts of things not fit for television, and just rams into this other guy, and they both collapse at my feet. And I'm like, these guys are having a blast. And then I realize, oh no, this is like a full-on fist fight. So I pop my skis off. I grab the one guy who's enraged, pull him up, and start giving him a bear hug, which really confused him. And I'm like, my name is Michael. Everything's okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. 
Meanwhile, the group of people I'm skiing with are like, what is he doing? And I'm like, it's okay, I've done this before. And I start saying to the guy, hey, 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 let's breathe, let's breathe, let's breathe, let's breathe, let's breathe, let's breathe, let's breathe. And the guy who got tackled is behind him going, oh yeah, you haven't got anything. And I finally just turned around and said, can you ski away? You're making my job way harder. And so he finally kept on going, and then I turned around, and I'm not going to censor what I say, so if you're under 13, I apologize. I turned around, and I looked him straight in the eye and said, hey, buddy, can you just ski down the hill, please? Something grabbed him, and he skied away, and I looked at the other guy. So this guy tells me, I'm skiing with my kids, and that guy ran my daughter over and took off and went down to the chairlift, and I rode up for eight minutes, and all I could think about is beating him to a bloody pulp. And I said, dude... That's terrible. How's, where is your daughter? <laughs> My wife's with her. I said, well, why don't we ski down and see if she's okay? Kind of got himself. Fine. Skis down. The whole way, we're like skiing next to each other, just kind of like taking in the mountain views. And he's like, I still want to kick that guy. And I'm like, ah, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm like, this is the picture we've created of the cross. Like God gets off the chairlift and is like, I am going to destroy you, saying all sorts of things. And Jesus comes in and he's like, hey, buddy. Just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. My name's Jesus. We're going to get through this. And, and I thought about that, and I thought, like, well, what, what if the cross is actually a picture of something different? And this is why I ask us to imagine and ask the question, like, what if God actually is about the reconciliation of all things? You see, what if the cross was not Jesus having to change God's mind about us but what if the cross was Jesus changing our minds about God? You see, if Jesus is the face of God, then if it's not true of Jesus, it's not true of God, which just might mean, in the words of the Franciscan friar Richard Rohr, that we live in a benevolent universe and God is for us. Like, what if the cross is God saying, I want you to know and I want you to never forget how far I am willing to go, how much I am willing to take on, and that I'm willing to go all the way through just so you might know I really am about the reconciliation of all things, which includes you. You see, the reason... I'm in some ways dumbfounded that I and us and all of us have seemed to have missed this over the years is because it's not like it's subtle in the scripture. Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth and this is what he says about the work of Jesus. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says something similar in another letter that he wrote to another church in a city called Colossae. He says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. By the way, you know what all things is literally translated as from the Greek? 
all things, <laughs> everything, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, shalom, wholeness through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, it's not like God is here trying to get at us and punching around Jesus and somehow Jesus is like, hey, let me bring you over here. They're not as bad as you think. You need to be reconciled to them. No, the direction is actually the opposite, and this is exactly what Paul is saying. We are being brought toward God to recognize that maybe God is better than we imagined, that maybe we're the ones who needed the reconciling work, not God. The Jesus reconciled us to God, is what Paul says. He doesn't say Jesus reconciled God to us. We were the ones who were alienated. We were the ones who were enemies. And by the way, in the text, the word enemy suggests that it goes one way, from us toward God, not from God toward us. You see, this picture of the cross is Jesus saying, look at me, because I really want you to know what God is like. That God has a deep, deep longing for the reconciliation of all things. What might happen if we actually believe that to be true? I don't mean just stand and say it and quote some verses and some theology and say that we're Christians and we go to church and da 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 Of course we believe it. I mean, like, what if we lived as the ministers of reconciliation that Paul talks about saying, no, I believe, I believe that God longs for this. I believe that that wound that I put into that little box where I shut the lid and locked it up and put it on a shelf in a closet in a distant room in the furthest recesses of my heart, I believe God might want to bring reconciliation to that too. What kind of life might we find ourselves living? What kind of world might we begin to live in? What kind of street and streets might we begin to live on if we really actually believed that is true? I want to ask the band to come up as we finish our time together. Here's what I know. I could preach a sermon like this next week and the week after that and the week after that. I could preach the same kind of sermon for months. I could preach the same kind of sermon for years. But what I can't do is I can't tell you what to believe. And even though some people would prefer this, I can't do your believing for you. I can't imagine for you. All I can do is tell you about a picture that's been painted of Jesus on a cross where he's saying, look at me because I want you to know what God is like. And so just as Jesus began his picture, 
Just as Jesus began this scenario that he painted, asking people to imagine with a question, I, I want to ask you the same question. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Is God someone to be feared? Is God punisher-in-chief? Or does God long for the reconciliation of all things? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And as you consider that question, I want us to together participate in another picture that Jesus gave. The Last Supper, communion, Eucharist, where he sat with his disciples and he took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, God's new promise to humanity. Do this whenever you eat it and whenever you drink it to remember me. And when you remember me, may you see what God is like. This table that Jesus invited his disciples to is the table that the early Christians invited everyone to. Which is why here at Denver Community Church, we invite anyone who wants to come who might want a picture or need a new imagination about what God is like. As you do, we ask that you come down the center aisle or the sides where there will be people who are there to serve you and return up the diagonal aisles. And as you come, as you consider the question, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right, as you prepare to receive this picture, may you hear these words. As you come to the table, may you remember. As we receive the bread, it was once a whole loaf, a symbol of Christ's perfect presence among us. But then that loaf is shattered, broken, torn, and crumbs fall onto the table. Done so to teach us that our perfect wholeness, that peace for which we yearn and pine, is not behind us, it is yet ahead. Wholeness is still on its way. The broken loaf reminds us it will come to us not through what we will do or say, but through what Jesus has already done. His brokenness, seen in the pieces of the bread, is the very thing that will one day put our lives back together, whole and complete, relationships and all. Amen.